0: bibles with me if you would please whether you have it in a print or a digital form and turn to joshua chapter 14 i can remember um i remember just being a kid when i was uh, just first having the word of god kind of come alive in my life and seeing the value of personally reading it for yourself and sitting down and over the matter of i think a, a day or two reading through the whole book of joshua it's an interesting book isn't it and the stories that are there and uh, have really enjoyed the journey that we've been on as we've moved through the book of Joshua. Anybody else? Has this, been, has this been good for you to walk through this? Okay, thanks. I was wondering if anybody was here this morning, but you're good, right? Everything's good? Okay, that's alright. I thought maybe you'd already been diving into the turkey and little well, that tryptophan was setting in. But, uh... I think we're all right. Joshua chapter 14. We have been on this journey through Joshua and it has been um, fun and fascinating to take a look at the book. We're coming down now to to kind of the end. We got through chapter 10. We're going to have three more weeks. This week two more in this series of messages. And what happens now in the rest of the book is that it, it kind of takes more of a summary mode than a storytelling mode that we've had. Two big things that are going to happen. One, there are some more battles that you'll see in chapters 10 through 13. And and they go in and they conquer more of the promised land as Joshua and the people move through. And then when you get to chapter 14 all the way through about chapter 22 or so, then the land is being distributed. Remember, God has given the promised land to the Israelites, so now they start handing it out. They say to each tribe, Judah, you will go here and Simeon, you will go there. And, and it, it, tribe after tribe, they come and they receive the allotment of the land. So there's a lot of scripture in Joshua that deals with that. We're going to take the next two weeks and in light of these battles and the distribution of the territories to the different tribes, we're going to look at the two key figures that show up in this, kind of at the end and at the beginning of this period of time. Next week we'll talk about Joshua and we'll take a bigger look at his life. And I'm I'm excited actually for us to really look at the principles that we'll see from his life next weekend. And then the week after that, the first Sunday in December, really is going to be very special. We're going to wrap up this series and at the same time commemorate Calvary's 63rd anniversary as a church. That's awesome, isn't it? The way that God has blessed us? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you, when you hear more stories on that Sunday, you'll see how God has been so faithful to us as a church. So that's the next few weeks. But this morning we're going to jump in. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 14 and some things that we're going to see as a result of this. And so let's, let's begin right there with our text. Joshua chapter 14, beginning with verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua, at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. Now what's, what's important for you to grasp here if you're not familiar with the history of the Old Testament is how significant those statements are. If you remember, there were people who were slaves in Egypt to the Pharaoh. And Moses came and he liberated the Israelites from that season of slavery in Egypt. And they left that. Moses was the one that took them out of Egypt and liberated them. That's what we celebrate when we talk about Passover. That's what we look at when we speak of the Exodus in the Old Testament. After that time, they went into a, a season of wandering in the wilderness. And part of it was because they refused. We'll see this in a few moments. Moments ...to trust God with what he was saying to them. And so God said, look, to, to you, to this generation who left Egypt... ...you will not go into the promised land... ...because you're a bunch of whiner crybabies, right? Is that kind of what he says in the Hebrew? And so he says, look, you're not going into the promised land. So anybody who is over the age of 20... ...at this season of time after they've left Egypt... ...and they're in the wilderness... ...is not going into the promised land... ...you're going to wait to get there except for two guys Joshua and Caleb and so when Caleb says Joshua do you remember what Moses said to you and me it's like two dudes at their high school reunion looking back at their football day glory looking back at the victories that they had together and saying do you remember that do you remember that significant moment when that happened in our lives? They are looking back at one of the pivotal points of their histories together. Look at verse, verse uh, 7. Caleb says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. So rewind this. About 45 years you'll see. Joshua and Caleb. Caleb is 40 years old. Moses says, I need some spies to go into the promised land and tell us what it's going to look like. So 12 spies go into the promised land. Two of those spies are Joshua and Caleb. They go into the promised land. Ten of these spies come back with a bad report. Two of them come back and say, God will help us to take this promised land. The two that bring back the positive report, according to their convictions, are Joshua and Caleb. Okay, verse eight. But my fellow Israelites, who went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. That's a key word right there, fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Twelve spies go in. Two say, we can take this land. Ten of them say, I don't think so. I don't think we can do it. It's too scary. It's too tough. And so the people listened to the ten instead of the two, and they became fearful. Verse 9. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So there's this incredible promise that's given to Caleb and to his children and to generations after him that even though God is not going to allow all of the Israelites to go into the promised land, he and Joshua will be allowed and he will bless them with this land that they have seen. Verse 10, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to uh He said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. This is a guy with some determination, isn't it? This guy with a little bit of feistiness and spunk. This is a guy who says, look, I'm going to take that territory. You know why? Because God's going to help me. Verse 13, then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. This blessing comes. Now here's what's interesting about this story, kind of the direction that I, that I want us to go today. This story highlights for us three different groups of people. Three generations, if you would. The generation that left Egypt and then wandered in the wilderness... Then the generation of Israelites that went into the promised land. And then Caleb also speaks about his children after him, about his inheritance. And what we'll see today as we look at this is that there were these three different generations, three groups of people that had different experiences. One who were kept out of the promised land. One who went into and took the promised land. And one generation who we'll look at in a moment, who even though they were in the promised land, they forgot the promises that God had made to them. And they lost their inheritance. And we can learn something from each group that we'll look at today. So rather than tie this into a generational thing, because I think the the three different groups we look at have more to do with the state of your heart than the age on your driver's license. We're going to talk about three different types of people today that are highlighted in this story. And what I hope you'll do is that you'll evaluate your heart. And maybe in different areas of your life. Spiritually in your relationships with God and with others, in your obedience. And let's take a look at these three types of people that we see in these stories and consider what it means for us and to us this morning. So three types of people. Let's begin with the first one. And this is the generation that missed out on the promised land because they were whining in the wilderness. And it's what we're going to call today, number one, fearful people. Let's talk first today about some fearful people. We're introduced to these fearful people all throughout the first five books of the the Old Testament. Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, we, we see about them there. But in the beginning of Deuteronomy, Moses speaks to them and he defines why it is that they're not able to go into the promised land. Look at this, Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 26. Moses says to the Israelites, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Do you know anybody like this? Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. Do you remember that? You remember that a few verses ago? They say, The people are stronger and taller than we are, and the cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. <laughs> Isn't that pathetic? These are people who watched God send ten plagues on Egypt. These are people who watched him open up the Red Sea like unzipping a jacket so they could walk across. And now, because there's people who are taller and stronger, (laughs) they're saying, we can't do this. They are fearful people. There's some things I want you to see about these fearful people today. The, The first thing is this, that fearful people view themselves as helpless. Do you see where they were in this? And what we'll contrast this in just a moment to some different kinds of people. But in a situation that was bigger than they were, right? Yeah, it was bigger. They're going into a land that's fortified with walls. It's got giants. It's got difficulty and challenges ahead of it. Nobody said it didn't. But they saw themselves as helpless. They immediately wrote themselves off. They said that they could not do it. Mostly because they were so focused on themselves. Isn't that the problem? The fearful people begin to look inwardly. They look at themselves and they don't take their eyes off of anything but themselves to be able to see what else might be going on around them. Oftentimes they think of themselves too highly. Sometimes they go through all of life with a victim mentality. Does that make sense? What's being done to me? What has happened to me? Now I'm not saying that oftentimes we aren't victims of things in our lives that we haven't been done wrong that we haven't been hurt that there has been injustice that has happened to us but what do you do even in the midst of that what do you do in those moments you know we talked a few weeks ago and I think this is this is key that when you become full of yourself you leave little room to be full of the spirit isn't that true And the same thing, not just with pride, but also in the sense of fear. It's the same thing. You're filling your situation up with yourself, with your own limitations, with your own challenges. And when you do that, when you become so full of yourself, you push God out of the equation. So here's what happens with fearful people. They view themselves as helpless. Watch what Moses goes on and says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Again, this is the generation that did not make it into the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 29. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you. As a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. M- Moses says to them, look, do you remember what God did for you? Then he says, in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey. In fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. He says, Israelites, did God ever let you down? Did he ever fail you? So do you think he's going to bring you this far just, just to leave you? And yet for those fearful people, all they could see was the difficulty in front of them and blaming God and putting the burden on him and saying that God was somehow doing them wrong, you see, fearful people view God as the source of distress. If I'm facing a problem, God must have brought it to me. God must be out to get me. God must be against me. God must not have a whole lot in store for me. God has left me out here. He has set me up to fail. They view God as the source of their distress, Blame is placed on him and his power and his plan is dismissed. And this is a dangerous place to be. Now, when we find ourselves in a place of disappointment, let's just ask ask this, because we talked about this last week. Does God always do exactly as you order him to do? (laughs) No. And so what happens? We get disappointed. What are you going to do in those times? when we get to the next group of people that will help us to think about this but process it in this way When, when God is working something out in your life and I'm not saying you haven't been disappointed I'm not saying you haven't since lost I'm not saying you haven't woken up one day and said God this is it's not what I prayed for God this is not what I wanted but what do you do in that moment you realize that what God is doing what he's working out is more about his glory than it is your comfort isn't that true He's working out something for his plan. And if you'll trust him in this, if you'll dismiss your fear and see that God isn't out to get you, he's actually working out something for you in your life. He's going to bring you that promise, even if it's not the way you thought it should work out. If you'll trust him in that, there's something wonderful that happens. Here's where fear gets us. When God's blessings are overshadowed by your challenges, fear is setting in. When you think about all the things that God has done, but the challenges you have seem to be bigger than that, when they overshadow what he's done, that's when you know fear's starting to get the best of you. That's when you know you better give yourself that checkup from the neck up, right? And say, how am I letting fear affect my thinking? How am I letting fear affect my future? How am I letting fear determine how I'm gonna respond here? Now, I wanna, I wanna take a bit of a, Diversion for just a moment. But I think this is important for us to recognize. Because what you see in this story is the power of mob mentality, isn't it? You have two people who speak words of truth and ten people who speak words of fear. And which way do the people lean to? The ten. Because they lean towards fear. And they respond in that way. You see it in the headlines, don't you? Anytime something negative happens, we fear right away. I flew over I flew north to south across the continent of Africa during the time that the Ebola crisis was just beginning. I came nowhere near, within thousands and thousands of miles, where that crisis was, and yet people thought I came back from Madagascar with Ebola. (laughs) Why? Because we're motivated by fear, aren't we? And there will always be people who want to motivate that in our lives. Do you know what Scripture calls them? Scripture calls them the rabble. Have you ever heard that term? Numbers chapter 11 verse 4. This is about the same generation. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. There will always be people who will try to stir something up. And raise up some kind of doubt or fear. Let me just make a statement and then talk about this for just a few moments. In every situation there will be a rabble even among God's people. In every situation you face in life, there will be a rabble, doubters, fearful, discouragers. even among God's people. Why is this, why is this important to talk about? I feel at liberty to talk about this for, for two reasons today for just a minute. One is this. We have a lot of folks at Calvary who are new in their faith. And sometimes when you're new in your faith, there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of excitement. And then you come up across one of these these really fun rabble people, right? And they can let the air out of your tires. And it's good, especially for those of you who may be newer in your faith, to realize that this is a reality, even sometimes among God's people. You know the other reason why I feel really good about talking about this today? Is because in this season, Calvary is in a really healthy place. So I feel like I can talk about this biblical truth and you know I'm not doing guerrilla leadership where I'm hiding in the trees and just sniping at people from this platform. Does that make sense? So let's talk about this honestly. You need to know that when God is doing something in your life, there will always be a rabble. Who is it? It's usually people who don't like change. Or they don't like the cost of the change in their life. They have a fear of the future. And oftentimes the rabble is people who wish they were in control but they're not. Have you ever known people like that? Okay, so let's, let's just talk about this. The rabble typically have a personal agenda that is hidden in this shell of corporate concern. They say, look, there's not enough meat to eat. And they bring all the people together but really what they're interested in is their own needs. Does that make sense? And the rabble usually takes pot shots at leadership. I could do this better. This situation is their fault. Oftentimes those that are in a place of of being the rabble have this history of disgruntled experience. They flow from a real negative attitude in their lives and they want others to be wandering and miserable with them. Misery loves is what's on the the t-shirt of every member of the rabble. And this is interesting because, because it comes to us in life. It comes to us in our relationships. You probably will sit down at a Thanksgiving meal this week with some charter members of the rabble club, won't you? <laughs> it just happens. Usually, and, and grasp this, those that are in the rabble plant a seed of truth in a garden full of weeds. And they want you to focus on this little seed of truth and then drag you into this nasty place full of weeds can i Can I just ask your help for something? I think it 's good for us when we are in a healthy season as a church to talk about what unity looks like isn 't that a good thing and we 're in a healthy season. So how about we say this? How about no rabble at calvary wouldn 't that be cool? No thank you for saying it Yes, yes, done A plus. Let's call it out when we see it. If it doesn't look like Matthew 18, then we know it's sin, right? Do you know what Matthew 18 is? If i got an issue with you, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to talk to you about it because that's the biblical perspective. I'm not going to talk to everybody else around you in the process. If it looks like gossip, we call it out. Usually gossip is exploiting negative information for our own purpose or our own pleasure. Isn't that true? So let's call it out. Let's shine light on the shadows of complaining and let's understand what health looks like enough that when we don't see it, we recognize it as rabble. Isn't that a good thing? And, and, and please, know I'm not, I'm not shooting anything at anybody. I just want you to see this because here's what happened. It destroyed the Israelites. And I just hope that we don't allow it to come in and destroy our homes, families, and especially our church. Isn't that true? Why Why is this so important? One last thought about fearful people. Fearful people miss out on God's promises. End of the story. Fearful people miss out on God's promises. Because when you respond based on, I'm helpless and God did this, then at some point God says, then you can't. (laughs) You can't have this. You can't go where I'm leading you. His hope is that we won't be fearful people. But let's look at this second group. We looked at the group that didn't make it into the promised land. Now let's look at the group who did. Number two, let's call them faithful people. Faithful people, and uh, this this is the story we already read from Joshua chapter 14. Caleb exemplifies what faithful people look like. Joshua chapter 14, verse 10, listen to what he says here again. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites... Listen to this. Listen to what he says here. Do you remember what the the Israelites were whining about a few minutes ago? They're taller. They're stronger. Do you remember that? Listen to what Caleb says. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there. And their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me... I will drive them out just as he said. Do you know what the words that, that, that are there in the Hebrew? The words in the Hebrew are bring it. <laughs> Not really, but it could be, right? Not really. But that's what he's saying. I'll take it. You know why? A couple of things about faithful people. Number one, faithful people view themselves as victorious. Not as helpless, but as victorious. I'm not saying that I did it on my own strength, but I know that with God I can do this. Walls big? Yeah. Giant strong? Oh yeah. But I'm not helpless because I'm not alone. With God, I am victorious. The very things that drove the Israelites to say, we can't go in there, are the same things that caused Caleb to say, bring it. You know why? Because God's with me. So here's my question for you this morning. Do you consider today's challenges as obstacles or opportunities? The challenges that are in front of you today. The scary giants, the big walls, the hill country that's in front of you. The things that God said he wants to lead you into, but you know it's not going to be easy. This education that you're trying to get. This job that you wanted and now you're not so sure about this family circumstance, or this health thing that's in front of you, what do you view that challenge as? Is it an obstacle or is it an opportunity? Because an obstacle will, in fear, cause you to sit back and out of the game and you'll miss out on God's promises. But if you view it as an opportunity, then you say, with God's help, I will be victorious in this. Because you know why? Here's the difference about people who are faithful instead of fearful. Watch this. faithful people view God as the source of help. Not as the source of their distress. He's the source of their help. Not God caused this, but that God will help me to be victorious in this. Faithful people say, God, I trust you. I believe in you. I view you as the source of my help. Here's what the psalmist says. Psalm 121, verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Why is that significant? These psalms were written, this group of psalms that Psalm 121 is a part of, was written by individuals who were taking a pilgrimage from where they lived up to Jerusalem in the mountains to be able to worship at significant times, feast times. And when they looked to the mountains, they had one of two experiences. One was a bit of fear, because in the mountains are where the robbers would have been. So they knew that as they moved into that portion of the territory where people could be hiding, they would have to be extra careful. They would have to be protective about where they were. So they knew they needed help. They also knew that when they got to the mountains, when they got to that side, they would celebrate what God had done. So they were traveling both with a little bit of of fear and also a little bit of expectation. Doesn't that sound like life? So here's what the psalmist says. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Faithful people view God as their help. He will help me in this. He'll help me pass that test. He'll help me make it through another day on the job. He'll help me bring healing to that relationship. He'll help me weather this physical challenge that I'm going through. My God will help me. He will provide for my financial needs. He will see me through this season of grief. I know that I can trust him. Do you know why Caleb said that? Because God was faithful in the past and he will be faithful in the future. Amen? Amen. That's who he is. That's what he does. So here's what we see, Joshua 14, verse 13. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And if you read in other portions of Joshua, you see that Caleb led his tribe, his people, to a place of victory in that land. Here's why. Because faithful people act on and live in God's promises. Faithful people act on and live in. They put feet to their faith and they take claim on those truths to the promises that God has given. Let me just take a, a quick um, a quick sidebar here. Because oftentimes this is such a unique passage of scripture. Because how old did it say Caleb was at this point in his life? 85. That's something, isn't it? 85 years old, he says, I'm just as strong today as I was. And I read that and thought, I don't think I'm as strong as I was yesterday, right? (laughs) But it proves something. Oftentimes we use this kind of as a proof text to make those of an older generation feel guilty about what they're not doing. Amen? (laughs) So I thought I'd do that as well. Now, you know what it says? It says, look, no matter what your age is, God has something ahead for you, doesn't he? And I don't know what that means to where you're physically at. I don't know what that means to where you're practically at. I just know this, that your years do not determine your usefulness. God has something ahead for you. And when he says take that hill country, no matter if you're just in junior high and you don't think you can provide much or add much or whether you're 85 and you're wondering where's my usefulness what god shows us in the example of Caleb is that your years do not determine your usefulness your years do not either disqualify you or keep you out of what god might want to do instead god says where you're at what you're doing because of how i've made you in this season move forward and be a person who is faithful in this time and in this moment in your life and we could camp there for a while but let's um Let's move on. We've talked about fearful people. We've talked about faithful people. We've talked about the generation that did not make it into the promised land. We talk about the generation that did. Now let's fast forward out of the book of Joshua to the generation after Joshua, the generation after Caleb. Caleb speaks of his inheritance and his children. We're not going to call them fearful or faithful. Today let's call them forgetful people. Number three, let's talk about forgetful people Let's move ahead to Judges chapter 2, verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, son of Nun, servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. And so there you have uh, kind of a synopsis. In a certain sense, almost Joshua's obituary. The end of his life. Now you're at a very real point of transition. Verse 10. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Truthfully, this is one of the saddest passages of scripture. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Let me talk to you about forgetful people for just a moment. Forgetful people view themselves as independent. Forgetful people view themselves as independent. And we'll unpack that here in a minute. I'm not sure that that's the the best word. There's a lot of words we could use here. But they don't view themselves as helpless, like the the fearful people. And they don't view themselves as victorious. They just view themselves (laughs) They're the focus of it all. They're forgetful people, and as they're there in the promised land, they forget how they got to the promised land. We might, as we read this, call them lost people because they've forgotten about God. We can call them complacent people because they left behind what they had. We can call them apathetic people because they, they probably should have known where they came from, but they, they, they checked out on it. We could call them faithless people because that's what they ended up being, but the truth is this generation knew not God or what he had done for Israel. How does that happen? That was what really puzzled me. Because, I mean, they had to know certain things about their history. This was an oral society. They, they told stories, but somehow they dismissed the truths of who God was to the blessings that they were living in. They took God's blessings for granted. They probably just became too relaxed with what, what God had given to them. And they pushed God out of their culture... If you read through Judges, you see they don't go back to him until they hit a point of crisis. Which is interesting. Here's something else about forgetful people. Forgetful people view God as not the source at all. (laughs) He's not the source of their distress, and he's not the source of their help. He's just not the source at all. They didn't know the Lord or what he had done for Israel. They pushed him out of their culture until they were at a place of crisis and distress. They stopped trusting in him until one day there was disaster that came. And you see that when you read through Judges. I'm sure glad our generation isn't like that. 9-11. We're prone to do the same thing, aren't we? We forget that it's in God that we trust and the blessings that we have. I think oftentimes maybe that comes to us because we get into a place of comfort or complacency. We get to a place of where we're used to what we have. And it's interesting because grandma and grandpa and mom and dad, they they defeated those enemies before me... But I I didn't have to fight those enemies in the same way. So I become a little more accustomed to them. And this happens in our spiritual lives as well. When we get settled in spiritually, when we get comfortable in our theater seats on Sundays, when we get comfortable in the blessings that we have, what happens to us is we stop fighting spiritual battles. Does that make sense? And we check out and we tend to forget God when we haven't had a victory in a while. When we haven't been in a place where we've had to move forward spiritually, we can tend to check out on who God is and what he's done for us, and we can tend to forget God when we haven't had a victory in a while. And there's a, there's a real danger in that for us. I'm, I'm gonna sound like I'm picking for a minute, but don't, uh, don't, don't, stay with me for a minute. Is that okay? We're all friends here, right? At least for another 10 minutes. Help me out here. We're all friends for another 10? Okay, good, good. They, they did a, a survey where they talked to business owners. And they pulled in people, and let's just, let's just let kind of 40 be the dividing line there. They, they pulled in people kind of of an older generation and said, what one word would you use to define the workers of the younger generation? What one word would you use to define the workers of the younger generation? And, and they used one word that surfaced. Older generation, describing workers of the younger generation. And he began with the letter E. And so they asked the younger generation, the older generation has described you with one word. It begins with the letter E. What do you think it is? And they said, extraordinary. Excellent. Enthusiastic. The one word? Entitled. Now it sounds like I'm picking on a younger generation. Craig Grishel tells this story in a, in, a, in, a, in a sermon that he gives. In fact, you can get it on Right Now Media if you're, you're dialed into this. He talks about generational tensions. And one of the things he says when he tells this story is he mentions, he says, if there is an entitled generation, it's not their fault. The line he uses, it's because your mommy made you wear a helmet just to go to the bathroom so you didn't get a boo-boo. <laughs> but if you think about it, we, we live in a culture, and you can't blame this on a generational thing, where we're much more common to have a microwave than to trust a crock pot, right? With the internet, we can have anything we want, anytime we want, immediately. We get frustrated with commercials now. I remember when I didn't have a choice. We live in a culture of instant gratification and what that has brought to us is a certain sense of entitlement which is exactly what did this generation in in scripture. I'm not picking on a younger generation. I'm picking on every one of us because we live in a culture of spiritual entitlement in so many ways. This instant gratification And it's important for us to recognize this because what happened in the scripture, catch this, they had a certain sense of entitlement. This land is ours. It's our land. We're going to hang on to it. This is our spiritual victory. We'll do what we want with it. And what happened is they failed to deal with the enemies. We talked about this last week, that were in front of them. And entitlement is the enemy of inheritance. They lost their inheritance because they failed to hang on to it. And you and I do that in a spiritual sense. Now, let's, let's just unpack that just real quick this morning. One is this I want to challenge you that as a church and as parents, as grandparents, we have an obligation to take our faith and pass it on to the next generation and make sure that the next generation has no opportunity to say that they did not know what God did for Israel. Wouldn't you agree? That's critical for us. That's why as a church, we give great emphasis on children's and youth ministry. That's why we believe this is so key. Because we must never forget the legacy of faith we are to pass on to the next generation. We must never forget the legacy of faith we are to pass on to the next generation. How did this happen? Plain and simple. They didn't kill all the enemies. They didn't get rid of all the challenges that were there. If you read through Joshua, or, or excuse me, the book of Judges chapter 1, you'll see that enemy after enemy was not destroyed and was left to be there and affect the next generation. And whatever giants you do not slay in your lifetime will have the opportunity to enslave your children in theirs. Mom and dad, think about that for just a moment. Whatever giants you do not slay in your lifetime, we'll list a few of them here in a moment. <laughs> Will have the opportunity to enslave your children and theirs. What one generation does in moderation, the next will do in excess. And so take that to heart because that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. Judges chapter 2, verse 12. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baals and Asherahs. Here's a principle. Forgetful people forfeit God's promises for a cheap substitute. Forgetful people forfeit God's promises for a cheap substitute. The giants in the land sure looked good. So they chased after the things that they had to offer. They turned away from the promises of God to chase after the false gods that were in that land. And here's a challenge for you. When the people of God chase after the gods of this world, the promises of God are lost in the process. And and can you see here that I'm not just talking about Israel? When the people of God chase after the gods of this world, the promises of God are lost in the process. Judges chapter 2 verse 14 In his anger against Israel the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist whenever Israel went out to fight the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them they were in great distress. I was in Southern California not too long ago, and I don't know if, if you're familiar of, with this. I'm so glad I live in Toledo. You know that fashion trends usually start on the coast and make their way here, right? I think a lot of the really weird ones get filtered out by, like, by the Rockies and the Appalachians before they get to us. Because <laughs> I've lived here 16 years. We, we don't usually seem on the cutting end of fashion, and I praise God for that, actually. Have any of you ever Submitted to a fashion trend that years later you regret when you're going through photo albums? Okay, help me out. We're honest here, right? Two words, you raise your hand if this brings regret to you. Bell bottoms. Anybody? Okay, that's one generation. You ready? Parachute pants. Gary, I know, I know, right? Okay? There's those fashion trends that we can talk about. Miami Vice, you remember that show Miami Vice? had me wearing colors I now regret and blisters on my feet from not wearing socks. It was a sin, right? I look back, and every generation has its own fashion shame that you should probably repent of. Here's why. We're prone to take on our culture. And the culture that's around us, we assimilate into. And at first, it seems uncomfortable. I remember the first time I wore a pink shirt like Don Johnson. I did not feel like a man but eventually you own the style. It's your look. Kind of like it. And you walk by the mirror and you don't realize the fashion sin that you are committing in the process. <laughs> and then you take it on more and more. I'm not talking about fashion trends. And food fads and music styles and car designs. But in our culture we're prone to take on matters of principle and holiness and biblical truth. Aren't we? And when the culture changes, we're prone to assimilate those things into our lives, even as the people of God. And this is not new to our generation. There have always been songs with questionable lyrics. There's always been dress that's promiscuous. There's always been cultural norms that run in direct conflict to the truths of Scripture. And here's what we have to remember, that the laws of man must never trump the laws of God. Amen? Amen. Just because man says it's legal doesn't mean God says it's right. So we talk about these things. Here's what happened to the Israelites. They forgot God. And so, here's the first thing. Forgetful people lose their identity. They forgot they were the people of God. They just assimilated in with the culture around them. They began to look like them. They began to act like them, even though God had said for centuries before, make sure you don't do that. They were also forgetful people who lose their stability. They lost their identity, then they lost their stability, and everything around them began to crumble. Here's why. Because they took on the identity of the people who were around them. They began to believe in their God's they began to take on their values and what they would eat and what they would drink that would be in contrast to God's laws for them. They took on what entertained them and their priorities and they changed their values with regards to sexuality, with regards to their relationships, with what spiritually mattered, with what they treasured, with what they trusted in and with what would bring God's judgment on them. Does that sound like our culture at all? And we can be prone as God's people to become forgetful. And when this begins to affect my devotion and allegiance to Christ, then I'm following the culture more than I'm following Jesus. Boy, we could spend a long time there, couldn't we? And and just a quick thought, because this is maybe the saddest part of this whole story. You can become a slave to the thing you were once victorious over. Which is exactly what happened to the Israelites. They let their culture conform them. They forgot what God had done for them, and they went right back to the very thing that God had given them freedom from in the first place. We've covered a lot of ground today, haven't we? And so I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment. And just in these last few moments, let's do a quick evaluation. Let's go back to fearful people. And maybe here today you have been more of a victim than victorious. And you have begun to think that maybe God has just left you in this place as the source of your distress. And that you're helpless. And my fear is that if you stay in that place, you're going to miss out on God's promises. You know he said that his mercies are new every morning. And so he invites you to turn in your fear for faith and some of us have allowed the culture to affect us to the place where we're forgetful people and we've been so focused on our own selves and not on God as our source that maybe we've forfeited the promises of God for the norms of this world and God's speaking to our heart about that as well What he wants us to be is faithful people Who are victorious Who recognize him as our help And that we would act on And live in the promises that God has given And that's my prayer for you today And so Holy Spirit I ask that you'd search our hearts God that you'd speak to us And in this moment That you would communicate by your spirit Truth to our lives God, that we would not be people who are driven by fear or people who forget who you are, but that we would be faithful, victorious people who look to you as our help and then live in the promises that you have for us. God, we we trust that you by your spirit would, for each one of us, apply this message to the places in our lives. And that we would not let the fear or the culture determine our relationship with you. But instead that our faith would drive us to serve you. To a place of great victory with you as our help. Now Lord as we go from here we ask that you'd go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. We'll see you next Sunday.